looking at is found in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and then I've tacked on a verse out of Ephesians to guide us, Ephesians 4, verse 29. Give attention to God's word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our, our members, uh, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let no corrupting talk, which is the word for rotten tree or rotten fruit, come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let me pray just a moment. Heavenly Father, I'm one of those teachers that is going to be judged more strictly and I would ask that you indeed do what I cannot do. That this is your word. It's not original with me. And yet, Father, as I speak from it, I ask that you would encourage our heart, you would strengthen our faith, and not only with fresh resolve, but Father, by your mercy and your grace and a fresh contemplation of how you speak to us, our speech would change. Father, that's a mighty task for me, but not for you. So, Father, speak to us words this morning that would guide us when we speak, for we, your sons and daughters, are listening. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we're continuing the summer in the series on putting down the sins that we put up with. Those ordinary or respectable sins. The small sins. Maybe even the offenses that we don't think rate or rank as a sin of any caliber. So we just abide with it in our life. One of those sins, that, the sin that we're looking at this morning, are sins of the tongue. Words speech. And as you look to the classic text of James 3, 
you're going to see James. Imagine James. James, we're told, is the brother of Jesus Christ. Imagine James growing up in a household with Jesus. You know, here you've got the mom saying, okay, you guys need to clean up your bed area over here. And Jesus just maybe glowing, he just goes over and he, he makes not only his up, but he makes James up as well. And then you've got James, and you're, oh man, he's the good one. Oh, you know, I, I can just imagine, he's always probably struggling with his tongue, and Jesus doesn't. What is the difference? You know, Jesus spoke stern words, but never without an interest in the person. Never with just a selfish interest in himself. Jesus spoke, and he speaks even today through the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us when we read the Bible. He speaks to us from this table that we're going to celebrate in a few moments. He speaks to us uh, in answer to prayer. He speaks to us in the fellowship of believers and their counsel. He's continuing to speak to us, but he never sins when he speaks. James gets to the heart of the matter, and he says... My tongue is set on fire by, when I sin, is set on fire by another diabolical source. And it is set on fire so that it speaks selfishly and judgmentally. It speaks critically. It speaks, and I am representing my whole heart and all of my life when I speak. And then Paul comes along. And he says, with a great prohibition, he says, do not let corrupt speech come from your mouth. But instead, let edifying or building another person up, let that kind of speech come from your mouth. Wendy and I went through a phone uh, discipleship program where every uh, other week for 45 minutes we had a phone counselor and he was walking us through uh, a particular study called Sonship. And it's really a focus on the gospel in relationships. Well, I very rarely tell people that it was a disciple study course. It was, it was not that for me. It was marriage counseling. And um, at one point the instructor, uh, counselor, he says, uh, Phil, I want you because... Obviously, you know, I, I speak. I talk a lot. I've asked you guys not to adopt every sin that we ignore because you'd just be a wreck by the end of the summer. Just adopt the one. Well, this is mine, okay? He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And so this is one I struggle with. And so at one point in the phone conversation, he said, Phil, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to take the tongue test. And for one week, I don't want you to criticize Wendy. I don't want you to boast in yourself. I don't want you to defend yourself to Wendy. And, you know, he, he called later and he said, how do you do? How did you do? And I said, well, I was great the first three days. For three days, I was excellent. And he said, really? He said, most people, they don't even last a day. He said, some people don't even last an hour on the tongue test. I said, really? I said, I lasted three days. I thought I could have gone another three days, but I decided to talk. <laughs> and he's like, 
you didn't say anything? I said, yeah, I just kind of isolated myself in the garage, or I would just tell Wendy I'm just kind of fasting from my words. And he said, that's a Pharisee, that's a legalist. He said, that's not, you did not pass the tongue test, you get an F. And I said, oh. and he says, I've got another tongue test for you. And I said, really? And he says, yeah, and it's even harder. He said, not only do not defend yourself, criticize another person, boast in yourself, not only do not gossip about anyone else, but build people up. Not only do you not discourage someone, but encourage someone. Not only the prohibition, no corrupting speech, but the positive, fill it with constructive, encouraging, positive, grace-filled speech. Now, how do you get there? You get there because you hear God speak to you, and he always speaks graciously to us. God, when, he, when there's an area in my life that he wants to, to do and give attention to and to clean up, he doesn't talk to me. It doesn't sound like what I do when I talk to a family member about cleaning up their room. It doesn't sound that way. I come away from those encounters and I'm like, oh, man, how, how do you... How do you do it? How do you not say something negative? And how do you build them up and encourage them? Well, we take our cues from the ways that God talks to us. Now, if you look at your outline this morning, cut it in half. All I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to talk about the awfulness of the tongue. But I'm not going to leave you a wreck, okay? I've got some really good news for you at the end. But we're going to look at the awfulness of the tongue. And then I want to get just... just Rather specific, but very briefly, I want to hit a couple of examples of the sins of the tongue, and then we're going to come to the table. And then next week, I'm going to talk about the awesomeness of the tongue, how it can be set on fire by God, that it can be used to build people up. But in order to do that, you're going to have to see the challenge from Scripture as to how just very awful the tongue can be. If you were to look at Proverbs, and I've I've got like 10 examples out of Proverbs. The wisdom literature is in the middle of your Bible, if you don't have an iPad. Um, But if in the middle of your Bible, in Proverbs, Proverbs is about wisdom. There are over 60 Proverbs on speech, on the tongue. Let me just give you a representative. There are six things that the Lord hates. Very rarely do we read in the Bible, incidentally, something that the Lord hates. Uh, Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension. And later the Proverbs tell you dissension by words. That's how you stir things up among brothers. Another one, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. That's the seductress. Um, And I'm not giving you the references. I can do that for anybody that's interested afterwards. When words are many, I've got this one circled. This is Phil Stogner. Commit this one to memory. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I couldn't figure that one out until... 
um, I read and then later heard someone quote Oswald Chambers who said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Where are you the strongest? If you don't guard that, that'll be your biggest weakness by far. An unguarded strength, for me, it's my tongue in communication. If I don't guard it, it'll be my downfall and yours. I have words that can persuade you. When somebody asked me, they said, you know, you became a Christian at the Citadel, and then later you went into the ministry. You know, what helped you with that jump? And I used to quip, well, I led enough guys to hell, I'd like to lead some to heaven now. <clears throat> a truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I love the imagery. A sword. Cutting somebody to bits. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. A scoundrel plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. This image of fire comes up an awful lot. And I'm going to look at that in just a minute before I get to the specifics. A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. How would you know somebody is perverse? Now, we're not talking about sexual perversity here. We're talking about somebody that there's, they're, not, they're thinking of them and their own interest, and it's so harmful, the damage that they can do with the words. It's almost like they sometimes like to mix it up. They, they like to speak into something and stir up dissension. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. Don't you like to hear gossip? Boy, I sure do. It's deadly at two rivers if we ever let it get out of control. And one of the first places I'd start to look is look at myself. You know, I'm, I tend to be one of the leaders here in the centralized leadership. I get, many times, I get the first bit of gossip. And it normally sounds like, Shane, we really need to pray for Mike. Let me tell you what's going on. And I have to, like, oh, is that gossip? Boy, I sure really like hearing that about Mike. I never knew that about Mike. Wow, you know, and we lose we little. Mike, 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 and then we leave and we never prayed about him. Um, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Either one. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your tongue has the power of life and death? I do. Um, and it scares me. It scares me. Uh, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I did not choose this one as a representative for any particular reason. Drive out the mocker. Drive out the mocker and out go strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. You know, we don't... Do you know any mockers? Do you live next door to any mockers? Do you go to class with any mockers? Do you work around any mockers? I used to not know what a mocker was, but let me, let me just give a word of encouragement particularly to our college-age kids, sarcasm tends to be a particular mark for your generations. And your generation X, Y, and now we got Z coming up. But your, your generation tends to be very sarcastic. And it can have a quality of mocking one another and kind of cutting people to ribbons. And we need to watch it because it, uh, it says that it can create strife, and it can be a subtle form, uh, or not so subtle, but it can be an insult, and it can 
hurt people even though they're laughing right with us and then they go off to the side and they're dying. Um, I see that a lot with college students. Um, Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his own feet. And do you see a man who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Um, You look back at James, and he has this language. And he says that it's representative. If you look at it, he says down in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. If you want to see the world of unrighteousness that abides in your heart, I don't have to look at you. I have to listen to you. And it begins to emerge. And the, James is going to hit this particularly strong, as will Paul in Ephesians, because we're a people of the Word. It tells us in the Gospel of John that when Christ came, He was the perfect representation of God and he was the word of God. He communicated, as it were, visually but audibly as well, God's grace and his truth. He taught us, by giving us a new heart, he taught us how to finally interpret things. He he gave us words that help us to establish a world in life view so that we look at each other differently and we look at the world around us differently now, all because of his words to us. And he says, because you are people of the word, then be a separate people. James throughout here, he says this in verse 1. He uses the term, my brothers. Later in verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, and you should have a footnote there where it's brothers and sisters in most translations. He's using familial language to say, look, we get it that the world... The world gossips and slanders and defends and boasts and criticizes and is sarcastic and is negative. We get that. But we're a people who God has visited and spoken to us very personally. Now be people who are little Christ. That's what Christian means. So that when someone, particularly a family member, speaks to you, it's as if Christ the Father and the Son and Christ our brother is speaking out of us. And to do that, we need to be freshly mindful and aware of our grace. Um, if you've got a Bible, an iPhone, an iPad, uh, Shepherd Shane encourages everybody to download the ESV application uh, and you can follow along. But listen to what one man in Matthew 12 said about the tongue. Either make the tree good and its fruit good. I'm beginning with verse 33 of Matthew 12. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Man, what kind of preacher? You brood of vipers. I mean, does that cause you to wake up? I mean, this preacher's tough. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he says this tongue thing This tongue thing is connected to the heart. It's a direct line. And what's going on in the heart is coming out in the tongue. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. What is the treasure of your heart? What do you treasure the most there? Whatever you treasure, you tend to boast about. You tend to defend. 
and you tend to be critical of others that don't necessarily share that treasure. But he says if it's a good treasure, i.e., if, if you treasure in your heart your relationship with God and the grace that he's shown it, uh, to you, then that's one key element that is going to cause your tongue to bring forth good. The evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, that's, that is going to be the very last day when people are divided as to where they're going to spend eternity. On that day, you will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And you know who said that if you looked it up? Jesus. It rocks me. I like to think of Jesus as kind of a robe-wearing, sandal-wearing, tea-drinking, Volkswagen-driving, nothing for, no, no problem if you drive a Volkswagen, okay? Don't get me. Um, but he's not, he's not weak. He's saying this sin, verbal sins, sins of the tongue, that one is the one that on the last day of judgment we're going to let, I don't know, like a big screen or a big speaker. I don't know if it's going to be visual or not, but every careless word, every sin of the tongue is going to be broadcast up there. Francis Schaeffer, Christian theologian and philosopher, Reformed uh, Christian philosopher, he said in relation to this passage, it's like imagining a tape recorder. Now, some of you young people, I'll tell you afterwards what a tape recorder looks like. Uh, but imagine a tape recorder around your neck and that the, the on button is pressed and it's got this incredible memory. So it's recording everything you say, everything you say, everything you say, everything you say until you pass away and it goes stop. And then in heaven, on judgment day, God says, okay, bring me your tape recorder. Click. Oh no. Now, Christ is speaking to people that treated the sins of the tongue and their words so casually. And the thing that that makes it such a vicious sin in God's eyes is the victim of it. Brothers, sisters, or people that need that need a relationship with God. They don't know what His words sound like, and we're the, the first representatives of that to them. And he's saying, it's the damage that we do to others who we should be seeking to build up instead of tearing down. And that's why it merits such a fierce word to say, you know, one day you're going to stand before me. Now, let me... For some of you guys that are really anxious right now, uh, let me give you a little relief. There's forgiveness. Uh, just repent. Let's all repent. Let's have a repent fest for the words that I said last night, yesterday afternoon, this morning even. Let's repent and then ask God to speak fresh words to us. And out of that, then we would then turn and speak to others. Okay, now I'm going to have to conclude, but I do want to look at this uh, laundry list here that I've put down uh, for you on your outline, and then we'll take up the other point next week. Um, I want you to pick out one of these this morning, okay? I want you to circle one.
And if you're here with a good friend or a mate, um, Ethan's okay because nobody's sitting next to him on his row, so they're not going to see what he circled. Uh, but you might want to use a, a code or something. But I want you to adopt this this week. And I want you to apply the tongue test, but just for this one, okay? Just for this one. And remember the tongue test is, not only am I not going to do it, I'm going to make every effort to not practice this, but I'm going to do its positive reverse. So, you know, what's the opposite of a, of a gossip? What's the opposite of a slanderer? What's the opposite of being critical? That's what I'm going to do, okay? Gossip. Uh, uh, I was, uh, someone sent me this week a quote by Scotty Smith uh, out of Tennessee to say, gossip is verbal cannibalism. James would agree with that. Verbal cannibalism. Eating up slowly, devouring another person. Um, gossip, uh, the reason that uh, we do it and it tastes so good is it, it makes me to feel good about myself as I belittle you. It builds me up because always by comparison, the thing that I'm gossiping about is a negative for you that I don't necessarily struggle with. So it's basically self-righteousness by comparison. I always look better than the person I'm gossiping about. Maybe that's an indication of what's really taking place is that there's this judgmentalism or this moral superiority that I'm trying to re-emphasize. In other words, in order to put myself up, i got to put you down. And it says in verse uh, 10 of James here, the same mouth, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. We should speak differently. It shouldn't ever be a mouth of cursing, but a blessing. Slander. John Calvin, theologian, Reformed theologian makes this statement. It is an innate disease of mankind to seek reputation by blaming others. What was the first, what was the first sin verbally, what was the first sin verbally after the fall of man? Adam and Eve took the apple. Adam and Eve took the apple. What was the first verbal sin? Adam, she made me do it. Shunk, blame shifting. Totally. That is um, slander. Slander is a good one to compare to fire. He uses illustrations here of a horse and a bridle and a ship and a rudder. And I really want to make a big sermon about that one, but I decided not to. But then he uses fire, and he repeats this about fire. And he says, the tongue is set on by a fire. And again, you have a footnote, and it's Gehenna. That's that ever-burning, ever-smoldering, ready-to-catch-flame garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. That when Jesus said, let me tell you what hell's like, it's like the trash dump on fire. And now James says, our tongue is set on, set on fire by the trash dump outside of Jerusalem that's ever-smoldering. And slander is burning somebody else down, be it in business, and we label it professionalism. You know, I just needed to let people know that this guy, you know, he's a closet drunk, and they're thinking about giving him the promotion. I'm just saying. Um, white lies. 
again, you look at Genesis and we see right after they, they leave paradise, you've got Cain and Abel. And so God comes to Cain after he's slain his brother Abel and he says, do you know where your brother is? And he said, I don't know. Am I supposed to keep up with him? Am I my brother's keeper? God had forewarned him anyway that sin was crouching at the door. God came to him and he didn't say, hey, where's your brother? I, I, I knew what you're doing. You know, where's your brother? He didn't do that. Even then, he was inviting him to repent. Even then, to say, man, Lord, I am so sorry. You know, but he doesn't. What does he do? Instead of making himself vulnerable to repent and to be reconciled with his God, he lies. And that's what happens in micro when we lie to one another. Our relationship begins to dissolve because what I'm saying to you when I lie, and this is a biggie for me, I call it exaggeration, but um, a lot of times when I lie, I'm protecting myself because I want you to like me and I don't trust you with what either I did or I failed to do. I don't trust you. I'm not willing to make myself vulnerable. And our relationship means then that I don't trust you, I'm trying to protect me, and our relationships begin to fall apart. White lies, whether it's with a mate, next-door neighbor. Critical speech. Uh, why is he so strict on teachers here? Because everybody, every good Jewish mom and dad wanted their, their child, their son, to be a rabbi because of the prestige and the influence over other people. And James is saying, I want you to be very careful because a lot of times those guys, all they are are critical in the name of truth. It all becomes laws. Do not do this, and do do this, and do not do this, and do do this. And sometimes in our marriage, or sometimes in, in child rearing, or sometimes in the workplace, or sometimes in the classroom, we have to be careful that, you know, critical speech is not just negative speech. It's just, it could be very, very truthful, but it's devoid, or it has grace in absentia. We think, you know, God's gift is, is, you know, for me to be able to speak my mind. And I just need to, this is all true, and it may be well and good, and you're hammering that person to the ground. Again, be mindful that the reason it's such a sin is because of how it treats our brothers and our sisters into a watching world. Last one is sarcasm, and I've already addressed that one earlier. I do think that the, the word is fun. In the Greek, it's megala ouchi. Megala ouchi. Um, megala stands for big. Ouchie is actually talk. And so it means big talk, but it's a big ouchie. You know, sarcasm. Because there's always that little bit of truth in it with a laugh afterwards. And it's particularly biting. It's almost like one of those fish hooks that go in that you cannot, it's those big circle hooks that go in, you cannot get them out very easily. Um, I call it the, the big me, little you game. And we're particularly adept at that in the southeast where, you know, I kind of big talk. I kind of, you know, I, oh, I'm, I can do that hands down. I, you, you, you're just, you, you cannot do that. And, but watch the sarcasm. Well, I've got to end. And so just this week, you've adopted one of those. So just go out there and don't do it. Um, I fully expect for Two Rivers to look differently next week. 
and uh, I'm excited about that. Well, if you're a regular at Two Rivers, you know we can't end that way because we know this tongue, he's talking, James is talking to the church. He's not talking to a bunch of pagans out there. He's talking to me. He's talking to us. And so what he's saying, church, you got this member that's connected to your heart and it's a restless evil. It's set on fire by hell. It, it, one little spark, one little comment, you just set all, it's like a fire in a lumber yard. It's like the fires in Colorado. It's just like your neighbor and the neighbor and the neighbor and the, the workmate. I mean, it just, it just radiates out. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had something that I could put it on my tongue, if I could just like, like eat it, and it would clean my mouth up. Like, like maybe like, like Listerine. I could just drink it. And if I could just drink it, then it would clean my whole mouth up. Wouldn't it be neat if we had like wine that you could drink and it would clean your mouth up? Or if we had like this bread that we could eat and it would just change the whole direction of my mouth? It would be, and it is. For you see, the thing that allows us to have no corrupting talk and to build others up, as it says in Ephesians 4.29, is that we're able to show grace to others as we're mindful of how God has spoken to us, how he's spoken to us when we were his enemies, how he speaks to us even when we sin. And as we come to this table, I can and I shall this morning repent. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive the sins of my tongue and please forgive the, the impact that it's having upon those around me. And now, by faith, do the mystery of this table that a little wine and a little bread, I, can't, I don't know exactly how it works, but as I see Jesus, behold him again, dying for me, and I take his body into my body and realize that now I can speak for him. Holy Spirit, quicken me and strengthen me from this wine and this bread that we might be people who speak as Christ has freshly spoken to us of his love. Let's pray. Father, I set this bread aside and this cup and ask that you would use them for the, the good of your people and the great glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You'll find the liturgy in your uh, program. Let us proclaim now the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us.